0: You know, two weeks ago, we, uh, I think it was two weeks ago. We didn't have church because of the, uh, the ice that was falling out of the sky. You guys remember that? And, but a number of us were here at nine o'clock. The worship team was here. The prayer, the ministry prayer team was here. A lot of people, the serving people were here cause we get here at, um, nine o'clock. And then it was, uh, um, about nine. 3045 ish is when it started coming down pretty bad and, and the roads were, were deteriorating very rapidly. And get because my wife came in and she said, Man, it's it's getting pretty bad out there. So we the leaders we got together made the choice to uh, cancel church. But I was so disappointed because I was so ready to preach. I mean it's like, man, I got my preach on. And I just had—I just felt like I had something in me that I wanted to deliver that day. And so Lisa knew because she wanted snow, and I said, "Okay, well, I'm praying for snow, but for it to come later." And actually, it wasn't the snow that was the problem; it was the ice. So anyway, so needless to say, we canceled church, so I didn't get to preach to y'all anyway. Uh, but today, I'm just going to share what I feel like the Lord's put in my heart. I'm excited about Him. I'm excited about His Word. I'm excited about His Kingdom. And if you're around me too long, you're going to probably get tired of me saying I'm excited, but that's too bad. Because, man, I'm so in love with Jesus. You know, I've been born again for a few years, since 1986. And I feel like I'm in love with him more today than I was when I first got born again. You know, you, you know when you're first born again and you're just in love with Jesus and you can't stop smiling and you're just all fired up and everything. And I did experience that where I had that grin on my face and, you know, it was becoming a permanent fixture, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I feel like that now, but on a different level because I'm understanding the father more. I'm understanding his love for me. And, you know, that that generic thing about God loves you, God, you know, it becomes so cliche that we override and we, we dismiss The most powerful phrase that any human being could ever experience and realize, that God loves you. We've been talking about the gospel, the simple gospel. We've been doing a series on that for a number of weeks. I'm going to continue that today. I think we have three more weeks. have three weeks left, including today. And then we're going to change gears. But we've been talking about the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. I am not ashamed of the gospel. We've been talking about the simple gospel because that, that message is it. It is everything. It is a difference between us being with him for eternity or not being with him for eternity. It is a difference between us experience abundant life and not. And so it is a wonderful message, and we've been talking about that. We've been talking about the grace of God, which is the power of God. That he makes available to us to live the way he wants us to. You know, grace isn't licensed to sin, but grace is the power to overcome sin. I don't have to live in bondage anymore. Because he's given me grace to overcome. And that is powerful. Instead of making excuses as to why I can stay in this and continue to do this, oh, he'll forgive me anyway. Forget that mess. We get to experience Freedom. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ Amen But you know another thing that Paul said Was that I didn't come to you I'm going to paraphrase I didn't come to you With persuasive words Or speech But I came in demonstration Of the power of the spirit of God So that Your confidence wouldn't be In man's wisdom But in the power of God And unfortunately, here in America, the gospel has become persuasive words and wisdom, you know, talking. We're trying to talk people into giving their lives to Jesus. We're talking about the kingdom. And see, that's only part of what Jesus did. Jesus talked about it. He taught about it. And he demonstrated it. He taught the kingdom, he preached the kingdom, he demonstrated the kingdom. And for the most part, we in America do two-thirds. But it's the other third, and they're all three important. And the other third, I believe, is just as important to represent the gospel as the first two. And if there's no demonstration of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we're not representing or preaching the true gospel. That is my conviction. Because Jesus demonstrated that. And so what's happening is the church is is becoming weaker and weaker. The church is becoming irrelevant because we tell people about Jesus. We talk them into it. And so then they, they come into the church. Maybe they're born again. Maybe they're not. And so then they join this works mentality thing that they have to produce. And they have to be good and do good and act good and But then there's no power in our lives to overcome sin. And then it's like, what's the difference between Christianity and all these other religions? When we have our creed, we have our our holy book. And they do too. And so what's the difference if I come to you and I, I read some things out of here and say, you know, Jesus was a good man and Jesus this and this and that. And, and here's the word that we believe. And they say, oh, that's good. And, and a Muslim gentleman comes and says, well, we believe this way and here's our holy book. It's like, okay, what's the difference? If you're sitting there thinking, well, why should I go either way? They say Muhammad is it. We say Jesus is it. How do we know the difference? God demonstrated through supernatural. He raised Jesus from the dead. Muhammad wasn't raised from the dead, by the way. (laughs) Newsflash. Buddha wasn't raised from the dead, by the way. Newsflash. There's no other religious leader that said Kill me and I'll come back. And God raised him up. He validated his son, Jesus. See, all these other religions man came up with in their attempt to reach God. And God says, no, I have something better. I have my way that I'm going to reveal to you and give to you so you can, we can have this relationship. And God initiated the gospel. And he proved the gospel. He raised Jesus up three days later. And then we see the kind of life He lived supernatural life and then he commissioned his disciples to go and do the very same thing that he did and he told his disciples now go into all the world preach the gospel teaching them to observe everything that i commanded you you remember that matthew 28 teach them to observe everything I commanded you. Now those are the people, he's talking about the people who believe the gospel through the disciples passed on generation after generation after generation. That would include us. And we're going to see some of the things that he commanded them we're supposed to do as well. But what I want to do today, I feel like God set me up and I just realized it recently. It's like, God, you set me up again. And what I mean by that he set me up to discover something. And when, I've, when that discovery hit me, it was almost overwhelming. I'm like, God, you tricked me in a wonderful and amazing way. And I just kind of Im- imagine him just smiling at me. that You know, that love smile. Like, I got you, son. And I want to share that with you today. The name of this message is look at Jesus dot, dot, dot. I'll tell you what comes after the dots later. But what I want to do, and I shared this a little bit with you last time is something the Lord told me uh, years ago and even told me recently. And so I'm doing it again. Is He says, I want you to read the Gospels and look at Jesus. In other words, like watch a movie. You know how if you, if you watch a movie and then you focus on one character. And you just watch that character, and you watch every move he or she makes, and you just watch them. Or if you're watching um, maybe some athletic film, a football film, and you're watching one player. You watch how they play. You watch how they do their stance. You watch how they execute, whatever they're supposed to be doing. And you're just watching one player. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, read the Gospels, watch Jesus. So I did, and I just focused on him, and I just looked. And I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to be going through the Scriptures, a lot of Scriptures, Pretty quickly. Um so you can follow along if you wanna to try to keep up and barine yourselves you can, but um it's going to go pretty quickly. I'm going to start with Matthew four twenty three and 24. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his, his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed, epileptics and paralytics and he healed them. Luke 4, 38 through 40. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus. And he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. Mark seven thirty-two. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand to put, they begged Jesus to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, "Be opened." Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Matthew eight two and three. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. That word willing is the word, it's a Greek word, fellow. And it means to wish, to desire, to will, to take delight in. It carries the idea of being ready, preferring and having in mind. So when he said, Jesus, if you take delight in, or if you desire, or if you wish to, or if you are ready, if you're preferring to do this, if you have this in mind, you can cleanse me. And Jesus says, I am willing. I desire to. And if you're not convinced with that story, the ones we just read before that should convince you that Jesus is willing. He desires Matthew 8, 5 through 10. Now, when Jesus had heard, I mean, excuse me, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The man came to Jesus and said, Jesus, my servant is lying at home, tormented. He didn't even ask, would you heal him? He told him the condition. Jesus got up and said, I will come and heal him. You think he wants to? You think he likes doing that? You think he delights in doing that thing? He didn't even ask him yet. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go when he goes, and to another come, and he comes unto my servant. Do this and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. He marveled. There's a couple of things that Jesus marvels at in the the gospels. He marvels at their faith and he marvels at their disbelief. He marveled. What does that look like for Jesus to marvel at somebody? You know how when you see something that you can't believe you just kind of stand there like you know that look that Wow. (laughs) Can't believe that. I'm not saying Jesus stood there with his mouth hanging open. I'm just saying that man got his attention and he marveled. And then he began to preach a sermon about this very man. He marveled and said to those who followed, surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And he says some other things of skipping that. And then, he, then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Mark 5, 21 through 42. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. It means they were pressing in, getting real close, touching him, grabbing him, probably doing all kinds of stuff like that. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. When she heard about Jesus, what do you think she heard about Jesus? What do you think... You know what it says when he would heal and he did these people, were, people were brought to him and he healed them. He cast out devils. He set them free. It said his fame spread all over the place. It says she heard about Jesus. And look what her hearing, whatever she heard, this is what it caused her. The conclusion she came to from hearing about him. if I can find it, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. If I can just touch his garment, I will be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed. She was healed of her affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in a crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples are like, are you kidding me? What do you mean who touched you? Come on, Jesus. Really? Of course, I'm paraphrasing. Now, remember, people were thronging him. You ever been to... um, like a real, real crowded place where a lot of people are at the same time and you're trying to get by and you know, you're know you shoulder to shoulder and you're very, very close. That's how it was. They were throwing him. They were pressing up against him. But somebody touched him differently and he felt power go out of him. And he said, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing that what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the, rulers of, the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he, Jesus, came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a, a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi. Which translates, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Now do you see what's happening so far? The leper says, Jesus, if you want to. And he says, yes, I want to. And we see when people came to him, the mother-in-law was sick. And they said, hey, Jesus, my mother in laws sick. Would you take care of that? He immediately went over to her, touched her, and healed her. And then, as the day was breaking, people were bringing, and in one translation or a different part of this, a different story, it says the whole town came to the house. And all the sick and the demon possessed and everything came to Jesus and it says he touched all of them and healed them. This woman came and she broke the law. She was not supposed to touch anybody because she was unclean. She broke the religious law. That's why she was afraid. Because she could have been There could have been some kind of severe punishment. I don't know if she could have been killed, executed. I don't know if it was that severe. I haven't studied it that much. But she could have suffered some major consequence because of what she did. But I think she was willing to take a chance, not only because she knew Jesus, she could be healed by touching him, but she probably knew how he would respond to her because of what he heard about Jesus, his reputation of love and compassion. So are you seeing a pattern here? Remember we're looking at a story and we're watching one character. Are you seeing a pattern? Matthew 9:27 When Jesus departed from there two blind men followed him crying out and saying, "Son of David, have mercy on us." And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, "Do you believe that I am able to do this?" They said to him, "Yes, Lord." Then he touched their eyes saying, "According to your faith be it to you; be it unto you." And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. Then these guys walk out. Matthew 9, 32, it says, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It, has never, it was never seen like this in Israel. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now listen. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep without no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest." And when he had called his, his 12 disciples to him, excuse me. And when he had called his 12 disciples to himself, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So Jesus is preaching, teaching and healing. He sees the multitudes and he's moved with compassion. There are so many people that are sick, that are distraught, that are downtrodden, that are just messed up. He turns to his disciples and says, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to take care of these people. And then he says, okay, I'm commissioning you to do that. And this is he gave them authority over demons and to heal all kinds of disease. So he went from teaching, preaching and demonstrating the kingdom to delegating that authority So he has more that can do the same thing that he was doing. Are you with me so far? Matthew 14, starting with verse 36. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him. Now Jesus comes from one place on a boat. He he lands in this place and it says the men recognized Jesus. And when the men in that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Jesus lands on the shore. They recognize him. They call all the sick. They bring him, and they say, hey, Jesus, can, can you just walk through and just let them touch you? And so he walked through all these sick people and it says, whoever touched his garment was healed. Now, kind of an interesting side note, where do they get the idea? Now, this is speculation, okay? Where do they get the idea that all they had to do was touch his clothes to get healed? Sound familiar? Remember the lady? Remember the lady who touched his garment? Do you think that testimony began to spread as well? He said, Hey. All we have to do is touch him, touch his clothes. Matthew 17, 14 14 through 20. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. We're all familiar with the story. This man brings his son to the disciples, the disciples who had been commissioned and given authority by Jesus to cast out devils and to heal all various diseases, remember? And they had gone out and done that, actually. And it says they came back and they were telling Jesus, they said, Jesus, even the demons were subject to us. And they were just amazed and they were celebrating the coolness of, wow, this is cool stuff. So they were experiencing the miraculous. They were casting out demons and people were getting healed. Are you with me? Do you agree with that? And then here you have a situation where the man brought his son to the disciples. Question, why did he bring his son to the disciples? Probably because they heard that what they were doing. But they couldn't get it done for whatever reason. Do you know why they couldn't get it done? Do you know why they could not heal that boy? Because it was not God's will to heal that boy. I sense disagreement in here. You have these men that were commissioned... That we're doing this stuff. They couldn't do it in this situation for whatever reason. So therefore, I've been prayed for before. Been prayed for by a number of people. Haven't been healed. Therefore, conclusion, logical conclusion, is not God's will to heal me or that little boy. But many people have stopped right there. Fortunately, Jesus came on the scene. And he wasn't too. He wasn't happy, shall I say, with the results that were not happening. He said, then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. How how long shall I be with you? Or another place says, how long shall I put up with this? And he said, why couldn't we do it? And then, backing up, Jesus healed the little boy, right? Remember that? He healed the little boy. So the fact that it it being God's will was answered right there. And they said, well, why couldn't we get it done? Because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. The thought that I'm trying to plant right now is just because you haven't been healed yet or people you prayed for and they didn't get healed, people that I prayed for and didn't get healed, doesn't necessarily mean it's not God's will. And I hope Holy Spirit does something with that. Let's move on. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How good, excuse me, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all... Who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now here's where God got me. When he sprung the trap on me. Hebrews 1.3 says, God, well, let me back up a little bit. Hebrews three. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Backing up again. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his God, the Father's glory, and the exact representation of his nature. One more time. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. I said this before, you know, when you read the Old Testament, those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament and see how things happen and late and, and unfolded, there's a lot of judgment, there was a lot of crazy stuff, wipe them all out, you know, how God dealt with sin, destroy them all, hard to understand all that kind of stuff. When we get, when we see those kinds of things, we look at that through our filter. We filter it through our understanding, our logical understanding. We say, "Wow, God was pretty mean and ticked off. God was pretty angry, and how He dealt with people." And then we kind of look at God and it's like, "Whoa, I'm afraid of Him." And then Jesus comes along, and it's like, "Wow, Jesus was nice. I like Jesus." I don't know about God the Father, though. Or the Godfather. (laughs) And how many of you realize that many people we don't understand God, but we dig this Jesus dude. You know, like I said before, it's like God who was angry and mean. Then in the New Testament, he had a kid and he got happy. And it's like, man, look at Jesus. I mean, all the stories that we read about Jesus, how he, and, and this is just a, just a handful compared to all the stuff that we see about Jesus, how he dealt with people. The woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and how she was guilty. Obviously, she was the only one guilty, obviously. I mean, right? She's the only one guilty. Because they only brought, they guilt, they brought the guilty part. Anyway, we saw how Jesus handled her. We saw how Jesus dealt with a lot of people with compassion. And he broke all kinds of racial barriers and religious barriers. He, wasn't, he was talking to people he wasn't supposed to. Religiously. Or traditionally. We see how he was passionate about people. And he was very compassionate. And we get so excited about Jesus. And I did. I remember the first time years ago when I was reading about this and it it just made my love for Jesus just go. It just grew and grew. It's like, Jesus, you are awesome. Oh my goodness. I love you so much. I love you so much. You're amazing. And then I came across John 14. And so I even read, and, and you guys have read that verse before. Jesus is the exact, what did I just say again? He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. How many of you have read that verse before? Or heard that before? We, so we knew that, right? I knew that. But then the trap was sprung. John fourteen seven, and this is Jesus talking. He says, "If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him at. Let's see. You know him and have seen him." Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Then Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Who can... Excuse me. So, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than he shall he do because I go to the Father. So Jesus is saying, You guys don't get this? Because Philip was like, would, would Jesus just show us the Father? And he look, Are you kidding? Jesus was saying, Guys, come on, you've seen the Father everything that you see me do for these last three years, everything is the father. Everything. Everything that we've seen Jesus do, that we get excited about Jesus doing. Guess who was the initiator of all that? Guess who was the author of all of that? God, the father. And man, when that hit me, and this was just the other day when this hit me. I realized what God was doing when he said, I want you to read the Gospels and look at Jesus. And I was looking at Jesus and getting all excited about Jesus and not to take anything away from Jesus. Because we already know Jesus is all that, right? We don't have a problem with that. Even lost people respect Jesus. Where the problem comes is with the Father. And what he was trying to do with me is reveal himself to me. He says, son, you want to see me? Look at my son. That's me right there. It almost overwhelmed me. I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? Seriously? And it made me fall in love with him a lot more. And it's like, God, I'm so sorry for the bad thoughts I had towards you. I'm so sorry for the misrepresentation of you. You know, I heard from a man not too long ago, just a few days ago. I can't remember the exact conversation because I wasn't in the conversation, but I just overheard it. And they're talking about sickness or something. And then the guy said, sounds like to me, God's trying to get his attention. And that really grieved my heart. Because if I understand what he was saying was, okay, this, do, this person who was dealing with sickness. God's trying to get his attention and I guess by putting the sickness on them, I mean, I don't know, I didn't ask him, but that is a common, common belief that God is using or put sickness on you because he wants to teach you. He wants to develop your character. How many people did Jesus put sickness on? How many people came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to be healed. He said, nope. It's not God's will to heal you. What's wrong with you? I need nine volunteers real quick, and I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to even make you say anything, but I just need you to come. You know what's funny? I just felt this. As soon as I asked for volunteers, some of you were like, can I get under the chair? <laughs> I mean fear just went through your soul Oh please don't pick me Some of you feel a calling to use the bathroom About right now don't you (laughs) Hey I understand that I used to hate you know When when the teachers or whatever Hey could you Like, It was just fear And of course then you look down You know no eye contact Eye contact is dangerous Anyway Can I have nine volunteers real quick See nine people just come on up actually One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Someone count, is this nine? Do we got nine? I haven't been studying math recently, so I need help. Okay, I need three of you over here. Need to break up in groups of three. Three over there. So you two ladies join. Nick, you three right there, you three right here. Okay. All right. Here's what I'm gonna do. Okay, this say these three guys right here. They wanna be saved. No, we're not fighting yet. These three guys right here, okay, let's say Jesus is standing right here, okay? These three guys right here want to get saved. Jesus is right here. Which one of the three is Jesus going to say no to? (laughs) That was wrong. Oh, man. See, that's their religious spirit. Right <laughs> okay, but seriously, which one is Jesus going to say no to? All three of them want to get saved. Okay, you guys may be seated. Thank you. Okay, these three people, Jesus, right here, these three people are dealing with demon possession and oppression. Can you tell? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Now stay with me. So these three people dealing with demon possession oppression, Jesus right here. Which one is he not gonna deliver? On a serious note, no Cornell. (laughs) Somebody help me out. Which one is Jesus gonna say? Sorry, son. Why are you pointing at me, man? Okay. Go ahead and have a seat. So, you guys think that Jesus is going to deliver all three of them? You think Jesus is going to save all three of them? For real. I mean, is Jesus like that? These three people are sick. Which one is Jesus going to say no to? Okay, thank you. you. May be seated. You see the point? For some reason, there's a disconnect. We look at Jesus, we see what he did. And I'd be willing to say that Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to know what the will of the Father is, now I'm not discounting other scriptures. I'm not discounting the rest of the New Testament, that kind of thing. I'm not saying all you have to do is look at the Gospels and forget everything else. But any precedent, any important precedent that Jesus needed to or wanted to set, don't you think he would have given us an example? especially when it comes to the will of the Father concerning salvation. For example, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anybody ever heard that before? Or you think I'm making that up? And Do you realize that word, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be sozo, saved. Greek word, sozo. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be Saved. Except the third guy in the middle, you know. The word saved in the Greek is sozo, which means forgiveness, healing, deliverance. See, it's a package deal. It's a package that God, that salvation presents. It's a package But here's what's happened, in my opinion. The church, for the most part, has a great understanding of the forgiveness of God and being born again, for the most part. There's not a lot of debate. I mean, there are some. There are some denominations that have some interesting beliefs. I'm not going to even talk about that. But for the most part, at least in evangelicals, we believe, call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And that has been preached and preached and preached and taught and taught and taught. And guess what? We believe it. We have faith. But in the same gospel message, the other components of the package that Jesus made available, we're not so sure about. Because see, God doesn't heal today. He doesn't need to do that anymore because we have the word of God. He saves still, but he doesn't heal. So what happens is we're very strong on the salvation forgiveness part. And then we drop the ball and then we begin to waver on these other two things. And then, and here's, and I would even believe that most of us, if not all of us, believe that God still heals today. But here's where things begin to go sideways. I believe God heals, but I don't believe he heals everybody. And let me say this, I don't believe God, God's will is to heal everybody. And that's where many Probably many of us in here, we either believe that or we fall into that category and we struggle with that. And that's why I asked you, there's three people here, all of them sick. Which one is Jesus going to say no to? We say, well, he's not going to say no to anybody. Look what he did. I mean, we see how he is, how he was. And I think there's a verse that says that he's the same I think that's in there somewhere. Do you think Jesus has changed in his desire? Remember, even his own disciples were commissioned with by him. And then when they had a certain specific challenge with the little boy, they couldn't get it done. You know, if the story stopped right there, then we could come to a conclusion. Ah, there's an example right there. It's not God's will to heal everybody. He healed everybody else, everybody up to that story and everybody after. But that little boy just wasn't in the cards for him. But the story doesn't stop right there, does it? Jesus demonstrated what the will of the Father was. And remember, all the things that we see Jesus do, we saw him do, those were the very things that God was doing through him. God the Father. The very things. The very things. So I want to propose to you that just because a person doesn't get healed, doesn't mean it's not God's will to heal them. Let me ask you this question. If a man was standing up here and he says, you know, because I've heard this, they said, well, you know, if God, you know, if it's God's will, it'll happen. Anybody ever heard, heard that or even said that? If it's God's will, it'll happen. It happened so it was meant to be, which means it's God's will. Yeah, That murder that happened yesterday, that man killed that woman, that was God's will. The guy struggling with pornography on the internet last night, that happened, that was God's will, wasn't it? You see the fallacy of that reasoning? If it's meant to be, then it's God's will. If it didn't happen, then it's not God's will. That is a very false, very false, but it's very prevalent. I've heard that through so many Christians, even in this body. It's so prevalent and you don't even realize it. But if you follow that logical conclusion to the end, it doesn't make sense. And there's a lot of theology that we've embraced that we're not paying attention to and don't realize that don't make sense. It actually makes God, to me, in my opinion, it makes God out to be schizophrenic. For example, God made provision for healing. He bore all our sickness. Remember that? By his stripes, we were healed. We see what he did. He made provision for healing, but yet... God's going to put sickness on me to teach me a lesson. Like what? If I believe there's provision for healing, but then I'm believing that God's using sickness to, to teach me a lesson or whatever. talking about confusion. How am I going to pray the prayer of faith? How do I not know if God's not doing this to me? And here's a problem I see, too, with the, the belief that god it's not God's will to heal everybody. Because here's what happens. Here's another thing that happens. We pray. They can come on in quietly. You just have them just sitting back quietly and everything. We pray, I don't get healed. We pray again, I don't get healed. We pray for me several times, I don't get healed. Logical conclusion that I come to, it must not be God's will to heal me. See, the problem with, well, it's not God's will to heal everybody. Then what happens is, when you don't see the manifestation of your healing, then you assume that you're the one that God's not going to heal. You assume that it's not God's will. And then guess what happens? None of us are God's will to heal because none of us are getting healed. Because an atmosphere of doubt and unbelief is developed. And we saw in Nazareth, where Jesus went to his hometown... And it said he could do no mighty work except because of their doubt and unbelief. They took up offense and they doubted and it's like, oh, I don't believe, no, this isn't going to happen. There was an atmosphere in that town that God was limited because of their doubt and unbelief. That's how I believe that. And I believe we, there can be an atmosphere of doubt and unbelief that's developed through false theology. Under my, the Bible says, let me read this verse in James. James chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. I'm going to talk about this more next week because we're running out of time. About hindrances to healing, and that kind of thing. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing a song. Is anyone among you sick? Now this letter is to the church. Is anyone among you sick. It doesn't say, are most of the people among you who are sick? It says, is anyone, in other words, whosoever, is anyone sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That was a provision that the Holy Spirit set up in the church, is anyone among you sick? Another opportunity, if it wasn't God's will to heal everybody, he could have said, except for those, and he could have put that in there. I believe what has happened, why the church has become powerless, or less powerful, is we've embraced theologies because of, now not... Not intentional, not a judgment thing, you idiots, you stupid, not that. Because of our life experiences, because of not seeing the results, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, they didn't get healed. So the only logical conclusion that we come to, it must not be God's will. Because if it was his will, they would have got, they would have got healed because I prayed for them. I did everything I knew to do. I think the disciples did everything they knew to do. And they couldn't get the boy delivered. But Jesus did. So there was something besides the will of God that was hindering that breakthrough from happening. So I would be willing to, I'm asking you to at least, those of you who have, who have settled on, it's not God's will to heal everybody. Okay, I don't believe that, okay? Personally, I don't believe that. I'm just asking you to reconsider. Some of us made made a, a, a state or we, we just believe we agree and believe that I don't believe it's God's will to heal everybody. Because then what happens is it will become you that you don't believe God wants to heal. That's what happens. Or if you're going to pray for somebody, how can you pray the prayer of faith if you're not sure it's God's will to heal that person? What if they're the one that God doesn't want to heal? So by that theology, you're undermining the very faith. that the Bible says, if the prayer of faith is prayed over the person, they're going to be healed. You see what I'm getting at? Now, I know I'm dealing with a very difficult topic, a very challenging topic. There's, there's a, this is a very controversial topic, but I'm sick and tired of just leaving it alone. And my challenge to you and I believe the Holy Spirit told me this the other day. He says he wants to put doubt in your doubt and unbelief. He wants to move you from that point. You know, you're, you're stuck and, and, and believe me. I'm not going to say this arrogantly. But I'm going to say this maybe. I'm not 100% on this, but maybe as a fact, maybe. I probably prayed for more people than anyone in here for healing. And therefore, I've seen a whole lot of people, probably more people not get healed than you have. So take that. (laughs) But I definitely have seen people get healed. Praise God for that. I've laid more hands on cancer patients than you probably have and they died some were my very close friends and I buried them I even did their funerals so the convenient conclusion for me to come to is to agree with and believe God is not your will to heal everybody because look at all the people I prayed for but that doesn't settle well with me and when I read the scriptures And what I feel like Holy Spirit is saying in me. And even using logic, I'm going to say this. Again, we'll talk about this more later. Because what I believe God wants to do is he wants an atmosphere of faith to rise up in this place. Because he wants to unleash his love and power in a way that we just want to say, oh my goodness, you are amazing, God. And he wants to do it through you. But we got to deal with some stuffs we got to deal with some stuff. Amen? If I can get that train of thought coming back to me, then I'll continue what I was going to say a few minutes ago. What was I about to say? Oh yeah, thank you. If we agree that it's not God's will to heal everybody, we hold that theology. Or let me say it this way. From my observation, In places where that theology exists, you see a certain level of healings manifest. 5%, 10% maybe. 10% is kind of high, actually. You see a percentage. Because in places where they don't even believe God heals today, you see a, a lot lower percentage, right? But from my observation, in areas in church bodies or families where they believe it's God's will to heal everybody... There's a greater percentage of people getting healed. Not 100% yet. But see, they believe that God is good. They believe in a good father. And they believe that God desires to heal everyone just like he's desired to save everyone. They don't have the answers as to why everybody's not getting healed. But there's a greater level of people getting healed. Because there's a greater level of faith saying... I don't understand why, but I still believe. And here's where I, want, I believe God's want us to move from. From the, I don't believe God wants to, to, I don't understand why, but God, I'm still going to believe. If we can get off the absolute of it's not God will, God's will to heal everybody and say, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to believe you. I'm going to believe your word. And see, I know there's, there's things in the word like Paul's thorn in the flesh, Some of you have already thought of that. What about? I already thought about it. Okay, I already thought about that. We'll talk about that next week. What about Timothy and his wine, drinking wine for you know ailments? What about this? What about that? What about Jesus? Anybody? What about him? God is doing an amazing thing. He desires to glorify himself through his kids. That be you. He desires to love people out in the world through his kids. That be you. If Jesus is lifted up, all men and women will be what? Be what? Drawn to Him. Do you think that's going to happen in our culture, in our society? Do you think that's going to happen through articulate speech? Because someone can be more articulate and present Islam to me. I'm like, oh, that's a good point. I don't know how to answer that question. But can I pray for you? Challenge to you. Look at Jesus. Here's the rest of the topic of the the title. If you look at Jesus, you will see the Father. So I encourage you to look at Jesus. Look at him in the Bible. Clear up something real quick or say something. Some of you may think, well, the Bible says, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders. These people ain't elders. Actually, some are. I'm not talking about age either. (laughs) We also believe in delegated authority. These people are sanctioned by the leadership of this church to do this ministry. Because remember, Jesus also said those who believe shall lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. But we also do believe in, if you say, if you call me up or one of the elders and say... I'm sick or whatever. Could the elders lay hands on me and anoint me with oil according to James chapter 5? If you ask that, we'll say definitely. Because whatever, however you can be encouraged in faith to go after what God has for you. But see, this is what Jesus died for and paid for is his Holy Spirit to be released into all these people right here and all of you, all of us. He says, they shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Here's here's where we're going. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with us in a way and help us to get our faith back in Him. To deal with the doubt and unbelief and to trust and believe Him at His word. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you throughout the week, you know, reading his word and saying, Lord, help my unbelief. Remember the father, the son, I believe help my unbelief. I believe that's valid. You can have belief and unbelief at the same time. So let's go after him. Lord, I don't know what's causing me to have doubt and unbelief, but I ask you to pinpoint and deal with it. Help me with this because I truly want to trust you. Jesus says, when I, when the son of man comes back, will he find faith in the earth? Guess what? He's going to find it in this congregation. He's going to find it in you. So here's what we're going to do. If you have sickness in your body, pain or whatever, or any, anything you need the Lord to, to minister to and help you or heal you with, then I want to invite you. When I dismiss, I want to invite you to come up and let them pray for you. Now, those of you who are thinking already, well, I've already been prayed for several times, so therefore I'm, I'm good. If you still have that same condition, let them pray again. Okay? Let them pray again. Remember the story I told you about the lady who was blind? He prayed eight times and she was finally healed. Remember that? Well, I'll tell you again next week. I'm not going to say it right now. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. You're so amazing. And we thank you for revealing yourself to us more and more, even through your son, Jesus. So, not only are we seeing how amazing Jesus is, but we're seeing how amazing the Father is. And we love you so much, Lord. And we thank you for revealing yourself to your people. And Lord, we know that you're not condemning us, you're not trying to crush us with guilt or whatever, but you're wanting to restore our faith. You're wanting to encourage us to move towards you, to believe you again. Especially those of us who have been prayed for, for years and years and years, and we've been dealing with this for years and years. And I thank you, Father, that you're helping us just to continue to stand firm and continue to believe you and to continue to pray. Because your word also teaches us that, Father, perseverance. I speak your blessing on everyone here. We thank you, Father, for your love for us. And we thank you for your presence here to heal, to deliver, to minister to in wonderful ways. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.